0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. On this episode of Damsels in the DMs.
1: If when I meet him, I get half a chubby, then you totally have to run for the hills because that means he's going to kill you in your sleep. I'm telling you, that's usually the thing. If I can spot him and go, wow, you know, <laughs> that means they're crazy and you must not date them.
2: There's some damsels in the DMs. DMs? Hey, please tell us what's the vibe. DMs, of... DMs, DMs. <laughs> yeah, we see them. Yeah, we read them. DMs, DMs. We don't need them. We just leave them.
0: Please. Yeah. It's going down in the DMs. Bye. Hello, everyone. And thank you for tuning in to another episode of Damsels in the DMs. I'm Lauren.
2: And I'm Alejandro. Oh my goodness, today is such a treasure. We have Frank DeCaro on, and he is one of the most interesting, hilarious, and just really admirable writers that we've been able to have a conversation with here on the podcast. It's been amazing. Oh my God, I'm so happy he was able to come on. What is, and he was also on? a
0: host on The Daily Show and SiriusXM. I mean, the resume is just unbelievable. Mm-hmm.
2: Right, and the list of publications that he's already yeah. authored, is, are, they're numerous. I mean, now he's working on book six, and for him to take some time to share with us his process, his growth, his sources of inspiration and motivation, I mean, there's so much to take away from this. It's.
0: I feel so educated on the drag community. I have so many questions for you, but... Gonna... Well, I have
2: so many questions for me, too. I have to clearly do my <laughs> research. I mean, the way he was name-dropping, I was like, oh, wait, let me add this to my list. But, yeah. Get into this.
0: Yeah, I'm going to be uh, following up afterwards on some other deeper questions. But uh, listeners, let <laughs> take everything you can away from Frank because it left me with a lot more too. I feel like I could have talked to him for another hour.
2: Uh, get into it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Woo. All right. So today we have Frank DeCaro, author, amazing talented drag extraordinaire historian rather, extraordinary. Yes, not
1: my drag is very terrifying actually, but I but my history, my my pop culture historian Fred, is is good, but my drag is I I I just it's
2: never glamorous,
1: let's put it that way. It's fun, but it's never glamorous, unfortunately.
2: Well, I mean, who can deny the glamour of drag coming through the big wigs of show business? I mean, this is super exciting. I before the pandemic hit, I was really fortunate to come to the book signing event that you had with Bruce Valanche, Alaska Thunderfuck. That was such a fun night. What what's exciting about
1: having covered drag writing writing a book about drag? The most gratifying thing for me was people who perform in drag were were glad to be asked questions as artists. And mm. what moved me most was they said that they get treated like parsley usually that they're 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 the um. little bit of glitter that sh- that 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 sparkles up a morning news show or or you know a local program or something that they don't get asked the serious questions. And, and I was able to ask those and they were very appreciative be, to be treated as the artists that they are. And that that to me was the most amazing thing about, about the whole process.
2: Well, how did the idea come about to memorialize these significant conversations that you've had with these artists?
1: Well, it's funny. I got approached by an editor at Rizzoli Books who said, somebody needs to do a book on drag and I think it should be you. And mm-hmm. I thought to myself, and I'd worked for them before. I'd written a book on Bob Mackey, the costume designer, and I'd written a few other books for other people. I I think this was my fifth book, the drag one. At first, I didn't think I was the right person. I was like, you know, I mean, the few times I've been in drag, it's, you know, it's been, uh, a, one was for a web series, and and I played a Jewish mama in a, who has a heart attack in a Zumba class. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I played... Uh, you know, I'd done things for Halloween that were just, you know, terrible, you know, I mean there was not you slap on some lipstick and, you know, tie a shirt over my hairy belly and say, oh, I'm a character. So it was very lame and fun. So I thought, well, maybe I'm not the right person. And then I started thinking about the fact that I kind of have been drag hag number one for a very long time, in that when I was a kid, I was watching television and I was seeing Female impersonators, as we called them back in the day, um, appearing on main, on mainstream shows. When I got a little bit older, um, I started going, you know, when I was a teenager, I started going to this gay bar and there was a drag queen there. And that's who I dedicated my book to. And, um, and then when I was Mimi, yes, I've God love her. I don't know where she is. I don't know anything about her. I couldn't find a word on the Internet about her. Oh. But uh, um, I went looking. But uh, I ended up, uh, you know, I I had seen a lot of the major players, and followed their careers for a very long time. I, I you know I'd see I would go to Wigstock. I went to the earliest Wigstocks. I followed Lip Sinka's career and Charles Bush's career and Lady Bunny's career and oh all of the East Village people. I really was, you know, I wasn't in the group, but I was chronicling the group as as often as I could for the newspapers that I was working for and magazines, also went through my ticket stubs and I started to, because I'm a pack rat, and I started to realize that I had seen really some of the greatest performer, mainstream performers who did drag of the 20th century. I'd seen Jim Bailey. I'd seen Charles Pierce. I'd seen Flip Wilson. I'd seen Milton Burl, who was the father of television, practically, doing drag. And so I was like, wait, I've I've been in the room with so many of these people that maybe I am the right person to to pay homage to these people and to say thank you to drag performers because I truly I marvel at what they do and I love what they do. So it was fun to shed some light on on folks that you know you think they're having their moment in the sun and and some are and and that's great. But um you know they're still not outside of their the world the the closed world of this drag fanatics and those of us who adore them they're not being asked the questions i think the the exciting thing now is you know when you see a drag queen on a talk show in drag talking about something they're working on that's exciting you know or on or you know jackie beat and sherry vine were on supermarket Sweep, the game show a few years back i i think that uh the more drag performers are treated like any other performers the better off we all are and, and the you know in the audience
0: I grew up in the Philadelphia area and I remember when I was like 15 or 16 in the theater program, there's this this theater company called the Pig Iron Theater Company in Philly, and they do a lot of experimental theater. And I remember through my drama teacher, there was this opportunity to intern, like to be kind of like the stage manager. And I had no idea what the show was going to be, but I was really excited to like see what an actual theater company was. And it was a drag show. And I remember just being in complete awe. Like I had never seen more beautiful people in my life. And I just thought it was so incredible to see like, these people transforming into this different identity, you know? And I'm curious, like, you talked a little bit about how when you were younger, you were fascinated by drag. But tell us, like, a little bit about how you got into the position where you were even asked about writing this book, how you got into doing drag yourself. Like, walk us through your background a little bit so that we can just get an idea of how you even entered this world.
1: Um, I... Well, in terms of my fanhood, it was because I, you know, I was one of those people raised by television and my parents did not think that the TV was a bad babysitter. And because it was before niche programming, you watched what your parents watched. And I was lucky because my parents, I don't think I realized it at the time, but my parents were 40 and 43 when I was born. So they were into things Uh, I should, for what I know, I should be 80 years old, you know, for the, (laughs) for the, the entertainment that I, I was privy to, I should, I should be way older than I am because they were watching these performers that they'd watched in the forties, you know, and fifties. Um, so I grew up with all of that. So, you know, we didn't have a Beatles invasion in our house, but we did have, uh, you know, lounge music was always a part of, of, uh, the soundtrack. So, um, (laughs) So when that came back around I was like, oh, this is what I listened to as a kid. This is what my grandmother played. So that was kind of where my taste came from in terms of performing. And there were drag performers on, you know, Lucille Ball's The Here's Lucy show. You know, there was there was a a, dra- a brilliant drag performer named Jim Bailey performing as Phyllis Diller in drag. Um, you know, if you watched Vegas or you watched uh any number of cop shows, you always see you know, the schizophrenic drag queen uh, who was murderous or something or or who was uh, that That was a big in the 70s. There was a lot of, you know, the drag performer would turn out to be the murderous. You know, it was like and uh, there's one where Jim Bailey again is playing Judy Garland and there's an assassination attempt while he's performing as Judy. And it turns out he did it himself. Because he's he's also the murder, he's the victim and the murderer because he's a drag queen, you know, so this <laughs> insanity. So we got to see things like that. And Flip Wilson was always on in our house. And he was this sort of he was a pioneering African-American comedian who had his own and storyteller who had his own variety show, one of the first African-Americans to have to do that and to have a hit, certainly. And he did this character called Geraldine Jones. And we were obsessed with Geraldine, and she was real feminist but she was this drag character she didn't do the usual you know i'm the straight guy who can't walk in heels uh instead it was she could glide in them and she would you know she ended up uh she's she flirted with both bill cosby and oj simpson on the show so <laughs> oh, <laughs> back okay. back in their previous lives yes when we when we were okay <laughs> with both of them but um you know so she would make even though he was ostensibly a straight guy, this female character would make the straight man really uncomfortable. It was very, very funny. Huh.
2: Um, funny.
1: And she stood up for herself and she thought she was beautiful. You know, I mean, it wasn't the um, in living color approach of, of um, you know, I'm going to rock your world where she's, you know, so ugly. Wanda is so ugly. Yeah. It was, uh, no, she was beautiful, you know, and and um, and wore poochie dresses, the very 60s mod clothes and stuff. Meanwhile, as a journalist, I was someone who was uh covering pop culture always. And so I was, you know, if it was uh, you know, some strange little uh club in the in the East Village, I was there and I was writing stories about fashion and I was, you know, so um, you know, I was I was writing about fashion when uh Lipsinka was on the runway for Terry Mugler, you know, in, in Paris. I and I was in the room and and so As I was saying before, it really was, uh, in some senses, it was happenstance that I just happened to be there. It was just coincidence that I was in those rooms. But I had a good front row seat to a lot of very cool pop culture that was sort of fringy at the time. It doesn't seem like fashion would be fringy. But, you know, when when I started writing fashion, there was almost nothing on television about fashion and, you know, there was no Internet. So you didn't you didn't learn about things until weeks later. Why do you think but, fashion was your focal point at that point? Well, it was my job. I got hired as a fashion writer. Uh, and so that's why I was doing it. I, I had always wanted to be an entertainment writer. And I got a job as a fashion writer. And I was like, well, I guess I'll do this now. Um, you know, it was, uh, I had no expertise in fashion. I'm colorblind. My favorite
0: color is leopard print. You know, I mean, I, <laughs> uh, but
1: There's I got there. this Somebody job. told me
0: that my aura was leopard print. And yes, I thought that was a good. pretty good compliment Yes, <laughs> It is. It doesn't get better than that.
1: Um, So, yeah, so, no, I got this job, and I was working at the Detroit Free Press first, and then uh, I got, where I covered house music, you know, so I was always, like, kind of the cool, I was the cool club kid guy, but I was, but not really, you know, like, I had the real job, and I had to be there every day, but I got to do more fringy kinds of things, and they let me cover those. Also, the pace of it was different, there, you know, there weren't a million people covering what was going on in the clubs, you know, it was... It, and and honestly, if something was a hit in London in the in the fall of 2022, it would, it would be a big hit in New York in the fall of 2023. You know, I mean, it was really was like a year difference from what you were reading about in the hippest magazines on, on the London, about London underground clubs or whatever. It would take a year to get to, you know, across the, the ocean. And so the pace was different and you could be you could be hipper and hold down a good job you know because there mm. nobody wanted your stories you know there was no one jockeying for let's profile lady bunny there was nobody who else who wanted to do that story and i was like i'm going to do that you know oh, so man. uh i always got would get teased editors would say i would come in and be like oh my god we have to cover this story or someone else is going to get to it and and years later the one editor that i liked the best said to me you do realize no one was going to come up with that story idea other than you. No one cares about that but you. Yeah. Which, which I always joke. I say if I ever have a production company, it should be called Audience of One Productions because it's like the stuff I like. Sometimes I'm like I'm the only person who likes it. As it turns out, with drag, not the case. Lots of people love drag. And actually, you know what? As any creative person, you're kind of justifying your own taste a lot of times. You know, you're you're making movies about people you think are interesting. I'm writing stories about things I just you know I, you know you do it to justify you know I mean I wrote about certain Christmas decorations for the New York Times over the holidays and it was because I love them you know and so a lot of times you know if there's a certain kind of journalist who only writes about things they love and that's me so it's I, I tend to be I look at it as like oh come to my party this you'll see this it's really fun that's that's the way I write stories it's like oh you need to know about this they're cool you know so in some ways, you know, shedding light on these drag performers, even though I knew them. But Dinosaur Jr. and I know about Tina Martina, but maybe the whole world doesn't. You know, it's uh, it's that kind of thing. It, it's You're like, well, I guess you know, somebody needs to, uh, you know. I'm not hip for someone your age, but I'm hip for someone my age. You know, that's <laughs> oh, what people say, you're not hip. Say, I'm not for a young person. I'm hip for an old person. It's like, you
2: know. <laughs> One of my but, first uh, drag queens that I saw was in Detroit at this club called Gigi's, which was- like Gigi's!
1: The- <laughs> Do you remember Gigi's? I went to G- we all, Everybody, Detroit drag bars and gay bars are the same as they were 30 or 40 years ago. Oh my I'm God, telling yes.
2: You. yes. Ben That's Joe's is that. still going, I'm sure. It should oh, be. Oh, I'm sure. But the first one, <laughs> the queen that I saw was, uh, did you ever see D'Angela? No, but I,
1: I don't think I was, I was more the new wave guy when I was in Detroit.
2: Oh my God! The way she was yes, able to remember? helicopter, the way she was able to helicopter swing her breasts during her number—it was just. <gasps> how did I miss that? Spectacle. I don't even know. Were they,
1: her, they, were they hers or did she bought them? I mean, they, they were, were they, hers. It was no. hers. It wasn't a prosthetic. Is what I. No, It wasn't a, no, they were, it wasn't a chest plate or something. Yeah. No, oh, no, no. Good for her.
2: What talent! But um, I know, <laughs> I understand you went to Northwestern. So how did you I end did. up in Detroit after? Or... Oh,
1: I because in those days you kind of would take any job that was offered, and so I was. I got offered a job in Fort Collins, Colorado, which is now best known as the uh, the Flat Earther uh, Ground Zero. It's Flat Earthers live there. Um, I had a great time there. I couldn't wait to leave. Um, I lasted after six months of crying in the uh, of, in the supply closet and hating it so much mm. at work. I um, I answered an ad in Editor and Publisher magazine, really like an ad, a, a, a magazine, and I answered this this. Um, you know, this is all snail mail, and you're sending off your your clips that are Xerox that you're secretly doing while the you know when no one's looking. And I wrote a note, and I or a letter, and I said, I wish I could tell you. This was wait 1985. I said, I wish I could tell you I was the guy who told Norma Kamali that sweat clothes would be big someday, but I can't. But I can boast a lively writing style, but and so I wrote this jokey kind of thing. Well, they called me and they said, would you come and interview? And so I flew they flew me to Detroit and I interviewed. I'm not joking when I tell you this. The editor said to me, now, if you were to get this job as a fashion writer, how would you feel about the faggot factor of your job? And I said, the what? Whoa. And she said, well, everyone's going to think you're gay if you take this job. And so how are you? Are you OK with that? And I said yeah, I said, you know, I never did typically boy things. So it's really not a big deal for me. I kind of worked that through already. Thanks. And um, somehow, I ended up, uh, as I was leaving, they said, "Well, we'll call you in a couple of weeks and whatever. And uh, the security guard downstairs, who was exactly what you'd hope a security guard would look like, he said to me, he said, you'll be back here soon. And I said, what? And he said, you got the job and I said how do you know I got the-? he said trust me he said I know they're going to call and the Monday after they called me and the woman said and I was 23 22 or 23 and this was a big it was a big newspaper it was at the yeah. time it was like the sixth largest newspaper and the woman called me who I interviewed not the one not the faggot factor lady the other this other editor who I like very much called me the following Monday so I was this was like Saturday I guess I flew home And uh, she said, Frank, how'd you like to kiss Fort Collins goodbye? And I said, yes. And she said, well, don't you want to hear what the set? I said, yes, whatever you're offering me is fine. Just tell me when I need to be there and how we're going to do this. Mm -hmm. And that was the end. And I just took the job. I didn't even ask. I didn't even ask what the money was. It was just like, I'm coming. And so I moved to Detroit and I had a blast. I'm the only person who ever lived, like, you know, like beauty of the Rocky Mountains to move to Detroit. And I was like, this is so much better. (laughs) I, I like Detroit so much more and um and i stayed there for three years covering fashion and uh traveling a little bit and then i got this job in new york and and i suddenly was on a plane to to uh the first story they sent me out of the country for was uh can you survive a a package tour to the soviet union which is what it was in those days so i i went to moscow and leningrad and now st petersburg of course and uh in a couple other cities, and I'd never been out of the country, but it was like, suddenly it was like, well, oh, I have to be a big boy and have a passport, and I'm 20, I turned 23, you know, there in, in, the, in St. Petersburg, and uh, so it was, yeah, it was a, a, suddenly this whirlwind thing, and then shortly after that, I was, you know, I got to meet that whole generation of that first out gay generation of fashion designers, the ones who were the first ones out of the closet, like Gautier, and, and Moschino, and Saint Laurent wasn't really out, but you know, but Saint Laurent, uh, you know, got all these shows and Versace kind of liked me a lot. It was very sweet. So I had very good memories of Johnny Versace and stuff. So it was, it was a weird thing because I look at it now and it's almost like a lifetime ago and some, like somebody else did it, you know, there I was in, you know, my twenties and early thirties. And suddenly I was, uh, um, you know, the colorblind fashion editor who's flying all over the world and having a, you know, and, uh, it was, it was a really a fun thing. Now, how all that prepared me to do drag co- uh, coverage, I don't know. But I but I always, you know, in some ways it all sort of came together. And and I, you know, if you're covering Mugler, you're writing about Sinka. If you're living in New York and you're halfway hip, that's was the queen you paid attention to, along with Lady Bunny and Flotilla de Barge and Varla Jean Merman. And, and uh, you know, and, and so I would go to all these shows. And also in your 20s, you can stay up... You know, stay up till four in the morning and still go to work by 10 you know i mean you could just, you know it's, <laughs> it's not that hard to do and you're that now i mean i could still stay up till four but don't ask me to do anything at 10 in the morning i don't know i just kind of ingratiated myself with with all of them and then when i started to perform myself not in drag but just as a as a stand-up or as a as a host of most more as a host than anything you know you'd be on the same bill with these people and 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 you know I'm not stupid. You Lady Bunny's hilarious. You know, I would just kill to, you know, I mean, you're standing there and it's she's ripping you a new one and you're laughing your head off. And you know, I I just uh I identified with them too, even though I wasn't someone who did drag. New York was really the island of misfit toys in the in the late eighties and early nineties. You know, it was it was like the kid the kid, now it's a kid, the guy right the, the guy running the door at the coolest nightclub wasn't the quarterback from your high school he was you you know (laughs) he was he was the the freak that everyone picked on and now he's got the clipboard going you yes (laughs) you no and so you'd walk up to them and they would see the kindred spirit and you'd be you know the 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 misfit toy who was suddenly like come in well welcome you know and the the quarterback got to stand outside the velvet rope and go suck it you know so it was it was that that's kind of what New York was about when I got this. When I came, time to do the book for Rizzoli, It really was my my contacts list, or people I knew their contacts list. You know, it was not that hard to get in touch with any of these people. So yes,
2: my heart lifted when I saw the picture of Lady Red Couture inside the book. We recently had uh, Teddy Margus on, and oh, he's hilarious. He shared, he's so funny, and he mm-hmm. was showing his experience <laughs> of working on Hey Queen and Hot Tea. So. Yeah, seeing her picture in your book just kind of like lit my heart up. And I love the line that you included by uh, Kevin Aviance, where he says, when you see me, you will never forget it as long as you live. (laughs) He has confidence issues. He
1: really does. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly. (laughs) Tremendous confidence (laughs) issues. No, I I love him.
0: How did you feel about the reception to the book in general? It was great. I
1: mean, people have called it, and this is really, in some ways, this is hyperbole but they said it's the definitive history of drag, you know? And so I thought that was great. Well, it is until it is, you know, the next person who comes along, you just have to read it all. You know, I mean, everybody, the, the next person should, you know, I, I pay a little bit of lip service to drag Kings. So it's not the definitive history of drag because it's not that much about drag Kings in the book. Some, but not enough. So it's like that. And, but I didn't feel, I thought, you know, somebody else needs to tell that story. It was good. The reception was great and people were eager to be part of it and part of presentations about it. Um and that's a lot to ask. I mean to say can you get in drag and come and sit with me? It's not like can you throw on a t-shirt, meet me at the bookstore and we'll talk. True. Um but some came in full drag, some came in their street clothes, proving that a drag queen, you know, the best drag queens even out of drag are more fascinating than 90% of the people you'll ever meet.
2: On that note, what are some challenges that you've experienced in your process or growth as a writer and what are some tools that you've been able to use to persevere and overcome those?
1: I was the first person in my family to go to college. So it was a big, it was a big deal. And honestly, I don't think they quite knew what the hell I was about. I was, not only was I gay, I was weird. You know, I mean, the stuff I like, <laughs> my parents would say, why do you think that's funny? And it would always be, I remember taking my mother to see Mommy Dearest and I was laughing and she was like, this is not funny. And I was like, it's <laughs> hilarious. So um, I think they they didn't know what to make of me. But uh, some of the, you know, I mean, the challenges are, when I said before, when that, you know, you're sitting there and you're the gay guy, but you're not out yet, you know, it was on fire, but I still wasn't out. And, uh, you know, she's saying what about the faggot factor of the job? I mean, that used to be a, a thing. Uh, you know, I didn't come out, I came out in 79 to my high school boyfriend, but I didn't come out in print until 1993. You know, so that's a long time yeah. to be what, what's the word discreet in print? You know which is and honestly, you know there's there's that clip going around now where Harvey Firestein says Barbara Walters says I couldn't have asked those questions, you know, and he said yes you could have, but I feel for her in some. way yeah, she could have, yes, and she should have. However, when Johnny Versace was in an interview with me and he said, look, my boyfriend Antonio said, look, and I said, "Do you want that on the record?" And, he, and you know, I asked him. I'm gay. He knows I'm gay. I know he's gay. We know the whole score. But I said, "He said, yeah." He said, "Don't turn it off." He said, "I'm fine with that." And that was a big deal in 1990, whatever you know, mm-hmm. early 90s. Um, so being gay in in a in a very straight male business was was kind of hard. But I also I was also I I've been very lucky. Stuff has fallen in my lap very often, and and. Uh, And I'm a good surfer. You know, I shouldn't have been a fashion writer, but I was good. I became good at it. I shouldn't necessarily have uh, gotten my first job in television as a correspondent on The Daily Show. Talk about starting at the top. You know, I mean, I did six and a half years on The Daily Show as the movie critic. And was doing all this really gay material. Um, You know, and oh, I made Ross Matthews look like, you know. Chris Pine on TV and I was so I was on fire Um, but uh, you know so I've been lucky in in a lot of senses I think for me now um, the great challenge getting older is I wish I had the confidence I had in my 20s and 30s because even though there's part of you that knows you're smarter and you know more and you've accumulated more wisdom there's a, the fight is to be valid because you've been kicking around a long time, you know, and you know, I write these books like on drag for people in their 20s. I don't know if that's who's finding them. You know, I, I, sometimes they do. Um, But I wonder if, you know, is it people my age who are having a nostalgia trip by reading the book, which is good too. And I'm excited about that. But you kind of, Everything I've written has been sort of, uh, I did a couple of dead celebrity cookbooks and it was just because I wanted those performers to be known. That's what I did before the drag book. I did two dead celebrity cookbooks. And the recipes were such an, almost an afterthought. It was, you if you like Lady Gaga, you need to know who Liberace is. If you like you know this person, you need to know who that person is. And so it was a lot of um, wanting to share that pop culture history. Um. So,
2: what's about Christmas in Tinseltown?
1: Yeah, Christmas in Tinseltown. That was the Christmas version of the, of the book, but it was more. It was just so I could write up more celebrities. That I like that one better, but no one ever saw that book. I don't. I never saw that book in the store. I'm telling you know, it's like it's deranged. It's like you do <laughs> these things. It was a real publisher, you know. I never saw it in the store, and it was like, boy, did a great job selling that one, you know. Uh. Um, and there's not much you can do about that. But uh, but they're mine now again, so maybe someone will publish them again and we can uh, um, I just got the note that, that the rights are back to me now for the Dead Celebrity Cookbook. I was like good. Maybe <laughs> someone who knows how to get these in people's hands will be able to, um, you know, put it out there. But it's fun. I get my check every every six months for them, you know, and then you can go. Do a fast food lunch on what they send you. So I said, <laughs> that's the thing. Oh, that I was gonna say that's the great challenge. This is what I can part impart to people. If you want to make money, do not write books. Okay. <laughs> <This is> not... <laughs> Unless you if you can manage to sell them, that's good. Um, for TV rights or something, but it really is it's not lucrative. You just, you do it really to feel valid. I mean, you know, I mean, I don't mean to be cynical about it, but when you get to be older, you really look at it and you think. Oh, well, the drag book will make me valid for a few more years. And then I'm working on a new one and that'll keep me valid for a few more years. And then hopefully you think of something else, uh, for people to still let you talk.
0: Do you have uh, anything that you like swear by that you do every day, like a morning routine or healthy habits, things that you feel like keep you creative and keep you, you know, having the juices flowing and whatnot.
1: No I my my habits are terrible. I wouldn't wish them on anyone um because I um, I I worry and I fret and I don't sleep and then I write a little bit and then I think I'm done and then I take a nap and then the editor is furious because I'm missing another deadline. I mean it's I'm not a I'm not uh all I can say is if you're gonna be someone who's late with something, it's got to be really good when it gets there okay you know if it's you're going nice. up to the party with dessert that dessert better kill it better not be store-bought cookies by the time you show up it's like that you know <laughs> if you're the last one through the door with like i'm sorry this is late it better than me be the most delicious cake anyone's ever eaten and so that's what i'm hoping i can use that excuse as i miss another deadline for this new book i'm working on but um when is it coming uh, out oh who the hell knows in 2024 sometime. it's the history of disco but yes. it's but it's a weird take on it because it's kind of disco for the uncool it's like for those of us who didn't go to studio 54 but who got swept up in the in the craze through the music and the TV shows and the movies and the I love all it. the pop culture stuff so that's sort of the gist of the the thing because a lot of more of us learned about disco from television than it did going to clubs you know and a lot of us I was a little bit too young I could and I wasn't cool enough to get a fake ID at that point. I did when new Way, when new wave was king, I could get into everything, and I, and I did. I it was fun. but with disco, I just missed it a little bit. But my first concert was the Bee Gees, so that was uh you know. So I did see their their post Saturday Night Fever tour, and it was something I thought, oh, I have something to say about disco. But it's but I'm. I'm so late, and I and it just gets every day you wake up. You're, oh my God, it's another day. I'm going to write only a third of what I should have written today. And You know. Yes, it, it's, I go to that okay. too. It's so oh. <laughs> it doesn't get better. Okay, yeah. this is the horrible truth. It never gets better. It's hard. <laughs>
2: well, the, great. the sixth book is as
1: hard as the first book. Yeah, you know. Yeah. It's
2: just,
1: yes, it's like nothing is ever easy. It's just, if it's creative, it's not easy. But you know what? If it's any good, maybe if it's if it's any good, it has to be hard. You yeah, know. Right. I, I Cause otherwise it's crap. Probably if you can just do it, it's probably not good. But I, I, you know, this disco thing, it's like it's been two years of me sitting around going, "Hell, should this be?" You know, trying to figure out the puzzle of this book. Like, what do I say that hasn't been said? And I have stacks of other people's disco books, and they're very this DJ like this beats per minute, blah blah blah. And I just I don't care about that. I, I, you know, I was like. I want to hear about the divas. I want to hear the divas in their own words. I want to hear these were the twelve movies you have to see if you want to see disco on film. Whatever you know, mm. as bad as most of them are, they're, most of them are terrible, but they're really fun. There was one. There's one called Abby, and it was originally released as Black Exorcist, and they it's a black exploitation movie, and they have a, a an exorcism on the dance floor, and the oh. and the 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 guy the exorcist says. Get out of her body, and the devil says, I was tired of this bitch anyway. Oh, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> on the death floor. Oh, I laughed so tired of this bitch anyway. So <laughs> but uh so that's what I'm doing when I should be researching, you know, trying to get in touch with Barry Gibb. I'm sitting around going, you know, that guy was on P.B. Herman, and now he's the exorcist in this movie. You know, so i was just sitting watching cockamamie movies from the 70s, and uh but uh, yeah, anyway, I have my own. What I'm saying is I have my own process. I would not follow it if I were you. do your own thing. and and uh, But but I do think the advice to anyone is figure out how you can sell yourself to other people. Yeah. You know, it's like, because you are just, it's your taste. It's your take on it. And it's your craziness that like you figure out a way to sell your, your nuttiness. So
2: I love what you but, said earlier, too, about like justifying the tastes that you have or justifying the interest and just like, yeah,
1: because. Look, the dead celebrity cookbooks, were because all I kept doing was buying these celebrity recipes in every form that I could find, you know, and yeah. magazines, old cookbooks, old, you know, giveaway things. And, and uh, you know, and I would do. So then you're like, well, now I've got 30 of these books. How am I going to make this insanity seem productive you know like re- how am i going to make this insanity seem like research that's that's what it is <laughs> i love it it's
2: it's so cool to hear how you put the pieces of the puzzle together so neatly even though in the process it probably seems no in
1: the process ridiculous. it looks like this you know there's a stack of <laughs> paper that look like cocktail napkins and you know with with notes on it talk to this person do that pay this bill don't forget to mention disco stew from the simpsons you know i mean i've got notes everywhere it's, it's. lola Falana's. Disco single is on the same page as Disco Stew, you know, Mm. it's that kind of insanity, so.
0: I think now is the best time to get into our DM questions. Yes. So please tell us about the funniest, wildest, most inspirational, or intriguing DM that you've ever received.
1: Oh, my God. Let's see. When I get a direct message, what what would have to be the strange... Uh, Okay, this is... (laughs) When some I mean, I I'm very public that I'm long time married and that we're an old funny daddy couple and we don't play around. When someone treats me like a sex object, even though I really would love crave that, because you know, you get it's nice to be, oh, you're so funny and oh you're smart or whatever, it's all that's good. But um, you know, there's the <laughs> There are those moments where people want to, you know, meet you for an assignation, and you're just like, "That's very nice." It's you're deranged for wanting that, but thank you. You know, ah. so whenever I, whenever I get a message that's a little, you know, are you afraid? That's no, I'm not. Get the hell out of here. I'm crabby and old, and I don't want to deal with you. You know, <laughs> but thank, but thank you. you know, it's, <laughs> But it is no. It's, there are there are a lot of people who are very who all our lives we've been appreciated for being the smart one or the funny one or the whatever. And it's sort of like Could you just be the one you want to throw down and attack, you know, in a good way. And, and so uh, when someone does that, though, at this point, it's just like, where were you when I was in high school? Where were you when I was in college? It's like <laughs> nothing. I sat around lonely doing nothing. It's like now you're too late, you know. Will they say <laughs> on, on Golden Girls, too widow, too wait. Okay, it's just like <laughs> forget it. It's like. Now is not the time to send me a naughty, a, a naughty message on the team. I don't now <laughs> filthy pictures of other people. I'm okay with that, but it's but um I don't want to see your thing. you keep that to yourself, like a nice person. <laughs> oh, yeah, unsolicited dick pics just don't. Yeah, but nice. other but of a third person, I'm okay with you know, especially with oh. a celebrity. Oh, I'm totally you know. Guess who I saw? Remember that guy you liked in that Broadway musical? Here he is on Grindr. Send me that. I like that. You know. <laughs> It's like, uh-huh. no, I have a friend. He's like, oh, I can't find it. I was like, you were so full of shit. Why are you not sending me that photo? It's like, you <laughs> know, no, I like him. He's in the chorus of everything. And I, you know, and you have a picture of him and you're not sending it to me. You're not a good friend. I don't know. It's, it's weird when you get, I mean, this isn't, a, this didn't arrive by DM. But when I was doing my radio show, a woman called in and she was kind of teary. You could hear it. And she said, my son died of AIDS. And I have not been able to laugh until I heard your show. Your voice sounds like his did. So your son was a big fruit is what I'm thinking. So anyway, <laughs> but, uh, but she said, you made me laugh again. And I thought, okay. And I just told her, I said, I am never speechless and I'm speechless. And I said, wow. and you've made everything I do worthwhile. It's like the idea that you laughed when you couldn't find any humor in the world. Uh, that I didn't, I did something good for somebody. And, and um uh, that was kind of the biggie for me. That That's the one I always remember when she called in. I was I almost started crying myself. It really was... Um, you feel like you've really done something. And laughter to me is the most healing thing. And it's like, if I can make somebody laugh... And that comes from... You know, my dad was very depressive when I was young. And so trying to make them laugh and trying to bring some levity into the household was always my job. And uh, I've always been attracted to uh, men who were kind of unhappy. You know, before I met my husband, my husband's very funny. And we laugh a lot. And it's dopey and silly and fun and lighthearted. But I was always the guy who was like, give me the is there a troubled guy? Is he, you know, is he crazed? Is he on medication? Give it to <laughs> me, you know, I can find that one. I'm the honestly, if I walk into a room and I go, who is that? They should just get him the straitjacket and take him away. Okay. <laughs> I can find the crazy. I am, you know, if I if I walk in and say, oh my God, your new boyfriend is so hot. Count the silverware every time he comes over because he's going to steal from you he's going (laughs) to kill you in your sleep. It's like, (laughs) depending on how, you know, (laughs) if if when I meet him, I get half a chubby, then you totally have to run for the hills because that means he's going to kill you in your sleep. I'm telling you, that's usually the thing. If I can spot him and go, wow, you know, (laughs) that means they're crazy and you must not date them.
2: <laughs> well, on the note of levity, though, I'm also, the DM. There's a DM of the week that asks if you could assemble a drag superhero from whose supply of radiance would you pull to create this morphing megasaurus?
1: Wait, so I can put a bunch of people together, I can make yes, a, a, yes. a bouillabaisse of super drag superheroes. Oh, geez. All right, let me let me see. All right, Jackie B for her intelligence, so we'll oh, do that. Yes. Um. Miss Coco Peru for her empathy because she has a great heart for wanting to bring save kids, you know, and making make them uh, feel good about themselves. Varla Jean Merman has turned out to be a muscle daddy when she's not in drag, so I think for strength we'll take Varla Jean. Merman. She's a wall of man okay? Just, she's she's this big muscle daddy. Uh, Kevin Aviance's ferocity. Let's have a, you, me, you want your superhero to be fierce. Um Bianca Del Rio for her bravery because that bitch will get out there and say and do anything. So we ooh, love
2: her. hut to ooh so deep. Yes, ooh, I love it.
1: And wait, what would be it? Someone with a superpower. Lady Bunny for her immortality because she's basically I don't I think she should have been dead years ago, but she's <laughs> not. And I'm very glad she's not, but I do think she's she's like the share of drag and that you know, that after the apocalypse there will be Lady Bunny. You know, <sighs> so uh, and I hope that's true. I hope that she's the last drag queen standing. But uh um that's who I, I think I would put it. And then RuPaul's publicists uh, would be good to throw in there too. <laughs> and uh who else do we and one other person, Miss Richfield 19 was she eighty-four, whatever her last number is, Miss Richfield Uh, because she drives around on a scooter so like a rascal so she would that's how the superhero would get around on a rascal so she'd be honking and stuff and you would think she's not powerful that she'd read you the filth so uh you know and so i i think that's my it's a lot of people in one drag it's a lot of that's that's a super duper hero i think it's a megasaurus i think yeah it's a morphing (laughs)
2: megasaurus that is that deserves to exist yeah i
1: i wouldn't You'd have to weigh in at a truck stop, I think, for that instead. That's a big person if you put them all together, I think. Yeah. That seems I didn't pick all the skinny ones. You know, I picked some of the bigger – Well, Coco is skinny, you know,
2: Bianca's thin. So, so I love the what other you thing about Coco a... Peru, though, which is that you used the phrase the autobiographical monolo- monologue – how do I say that? Oh, my God, I'm like tripping. Yeah, over. what do we Monologous. call it? Yeah, Monologue. Autobi- Autobi- monolog- autobiographical monologist. Monolog- monolog-
1: yeah. Anyway. Uh, She's got a lot of empathy. She really, she's out there to save the kids and save and make people feel better about themselves, which I think is pretty great. Yeah, these old drag queens. They have a lot to, you know. They may not have been on on Drag Race, but they're really they paved the way. So, yeah. and that's why I did the book. Ultimately, was to pave the way, or to, excuse me, to pay homage to those who paved the way. Um, because I feel that way. I feel like you need to know who you owe a debt. To, you know, to whom you owe a debt. I I think that that's you know, I, I did my shtick on The Daily Show and I can tell you exactly whose acts I stole from when I was a kid, you know, I mean, it's like there were a bunch of gay comedians who were not out but were doing this coded stuff and it's like I watched what they were doing, it's like oh Jesus, I'd had no career without watching that as an eight year old, you know um, there's a guy named Alan Sues who, would, he was flaming, but he would do, and I don't think he ever came out really, but he um, he uh did a character uh, who was a sportscaster, and it would always be like, you know, oh, the tiddly Wing champions, you know, we're going crazy this week, and it was like, oh my god, every, the voice quality is exactly what I did on the Daily Show, you know, <laughs> he, he would do, and he would do a children's show host, and he goes, oh, my daddy had too much medicine last night, you know, <laughs> and it was so fruity, and I was just, it was like, oh my god, that's exactly the stuff I pull, um, so. I think it's good to do that. Remember when Lady Gaga, there was one time where she was wearing a, a she was in a wheelchair with a um, with a mermaid tail on. Yeah. And, that, yeah. Bette, and Bette Midler said, as long as I'm alive, that shtick is mine. And it's because like, Bette had been doing it since the 70s, you know? And it was sort of like, oh, no, 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 no. Well, until when I'm dead, you can do what you, but I was just loved that. I bet was like, oh, no, until I'm dead, that's, <laughs> that's mine. And it's like, yep. It's like you gotta, you know. So, for those who can't do what Bette did, I feel like I'm there to say that was great, but you need to know about Flip Wilson, you need to know about Charles Pierce, you need to know about Charles Bush. Um, so, I'd be, you know. Drag Grandpa, so (laughs) all right, Drag Grandpa. Well, you know, (laughs) our
2: listeners are definitely going to keep in touch with you, and please share with us how we can stay updated on your future publications, your your social media. My social media, I try, and honestly, for someone my age, when you get like 400 likes
1: or something, you're like, that's a big deal for old people. Okay, 400 likes is a big deal
2: for. I get excited about Um, 20.
1: yeah, no. Usually, I get like a If I, so I've been making these collages. This is what I started doing during COVID. I make these little. They have that function on your phone that you can you can put pictures together and stuff. Well, I'm always doing things that really amuse me, you know. And it's like, and generally speaking, they, no one else finds it funny. I laugh and laugh and laugh. You know, um, it'll be like the stodgiest, uh, you know, '60s grandmother from a TV show and and a porn star you know from today put next to each other you know and, but they're on instagram at, at frank DeCaro show F R A N K D E C A R O show but it. uh but thank you for being interested and for letting me foam at the mouth like this like a crazy oh my god episode. thank you for coming no, thank you for on you here. have been
2: so amazing uh, you are such a gift this has been so man. fulfilling on so many Wait a levels minute. Hold, hold on one second
1: Hey, pop, I just got called a gift.
2: Okay. <laughs> yeah, i talking to my dead father. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> got it? All right. So um, right.
1: They're never, they're never far away, but they they heckle from the great beyond. They do. So, <laughs> oh, that's well, let's talk disco when that's ready. <gasps> yes, yeah. Please, please.
0: Please come back. Yeah. What the damn yeah. resume. That was so cool. Ooh.
2: Oh, my God. I'm still levitating and... I could just sit and listen to him for another hour. Yeah. And I feel, like I said earlier, I just feel like I've learned so much, but I also feel like I have so much more learning to do Mm -hmm. after all the information that he shared. And I think, you know, taking away from this, uh, the importance of just sticking to what, brings me joy and what I find curious or what I find like tickles my my.
0: yeah attention. like you don't need to necessarily be on a linear path you can no. just take the way take opportunities the way that they come to you and allow yourself to just follow your interests rather than what you think your interests should be
2: yeah and like yeah I love that being able to like listen to your intuition and allowing yourself to like fully immerse oneself <laughs> and be flexible <laughs> Yeah.
0: Like yeah. The other thing that I had taken away from this episode was about how. We always ask about healthy habits or like morning routines. He's like, I don't have a routine. I just try to write every day, which, you know, in itself is a healthy habit that he tries to make happen. But what I liked was that he wasn't like mean to himself about that. Like he's like, yeah, it's it's a struggle to write every day, but like I keep going with it. And I think that that type of flexibility where we can not adhere to the habits that we think we should have so closely, but just allow us to take in what keeps us moving and understand that I feel like was really powerful
2: it was super super powerful and if you're looking for more powerful conversations you can take a look back at previous episodes we've done and you can stay tuned for more episodes to come with amazing and fascinating guests that we have on deck for you and as always our DMs are open so send us your thoughts, send us your feedback, send us your questions too
0: Yes, please send us your DMs for the future guests that we'll have. We'll be posting them on the Instagram so that we can stay up to date on what you'd like to be hearing. Please let us know what you're thinking about our rebrand. If you have any suggestions for us, people that you'd love us to have on, let us know. And as usual, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Damsels in the DMs.
2: Until next time. going
0: down in the DMs. Bye. Bye.
2: DMs, DMs, we don't need them We just leave them, please
0: It's going down in the DMs Bye
1: Thank you for listening to Believe You can show support to your host By subscribing to the show And giving us a 5 star rating On your preferred platform Check us out at Believe.com And search for
0: B-L-E-A-V On YouTube